Hi, you're listening to a sermon from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. We're so glad you're listening. If you'd like more information, you can visit us online at oakhills.org or phone us at 916-983-0181. Brand new adventure today called Every Step on Arrival. I'll explain that in a moment, but our scripture comes from Deuteronomy chapter 18. And I'll be reading verses 14 through 19. The nations you will dispossess, listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. For this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God nor see this great fire any more, or we will die. The Lord said to me, what they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. This is the word of the Lord. May be seated. Well, the key thought from this reading for our purposes today is God telling Moses that one day a prophet like Moses is going to come to the Israelites. And in what I read in the passage, God says, I will put my words in his mouth and you must listen to him. And this is referring way back when Deuteronomy first was written. This is referring to the eventual coming of Jesus, the ultimate prophet who speaks God's word and who is God's word. And as I mentioned today, we're starting a new series based on a devotional book by Eugene Peterson called Every Step on Arrival. We have been talking about this for the past couple of weeks and encouraging you, and I want to continue to encourage you to get the book, uh, either the hardcover book or get it on Kindle, whatever you use. Uh, to get this book, Every Step on Arrival, and work through it over the next couple of months. And the reason for this series, and the reason I would encourage you to get the book, is because we think this is a proactive way to spiritually prepare for the noise and the chaos of the imminent holiday season. It's a practical way to center ourselves in the presence of God during this hectic time we are about to enter into. Peter's devotional has 90 daily readings based on a short scripture for each reading. And obviously we're not going to cover all 90 of these readings. And 90 readings is three months worth of readings, if you were to do one every day. Way more than is needed to get through the next two chaotic holiday months. But if we simply read one or two a day from now until the end of the year, and maybe consider the question that he has at the end, or one of his insights at the end of these readings, it might just make this season of the year a bit more Christ-centered. And that's our hope, and that's our prayer, and that's why we're doing this series. I began using this devotional a couple of months ago. Peterson, Eugene Peterson, he's now gone to be with Jesus, but he has a unique way of saying things very compactly, but in a very rich and very helpful way. I started using it, so here we are. Each week, the scripture reading, uh, like the one we just read, and the message uh, in these Sunday gatherings are going to be based on the scripture reading and the content of one of 
Peterson's readings, and there's no magic to this. I went through his devotional. I found eight readings that I liked. I picked them, and we're going to do our best to kind of let you know which ones we'll be talking about on any given Sunday. We'll send an email, however we do that, um, to everybody, or we'll put it on the app. If you don't have the app, I would get it, because we'll put out there, this week it's going to be reading number, fill in the blank, and then you can read it ahead of time and follow along. So we're beginning today with the reading on day 17 of the devotional. It's entitled, The Spiritual Skill That Can Renew Your Life. And it beautifully sets the stage for this entire series. So I'm going to actually read the whole thing to you to give you a sense of how short these are. And the hope is that you'll go, that's not too bad, I could actually do that. And then you get the book. And yet how provocative these little short readings are. So you're going to see it on the screen. You can follow along. This is straight out of... The book, it's reading number 17, A Spiritual Skill That Can Renew Your Life. How do you shut out the noise long enough to hear the Noel? Are you training yourself into that discipline that can tune out the cacophonous racket of the world so that you can hear the angel's symphony singing God's glory in the highest? Your listening ear becomes the most responsible gift you can bring. You can give your attention, your mental alertness, your curiosity, and your intelligence. Listening is not only a function of biological acoustics. It is a spiritual skill of the soul. There's something being said to you by the prophet who is like Moses. Something said that is designed to rule your life, to lead you into a new way of existence. Something that can evoke a response that has eternal dimensions to it. Don't be misled by the child in the manger. He really was a child, but he is of the family of Moses, and he speaks. He says that you are loved by God, that you are accepted by God, that your life has an eternal meaning and destiny. Do I hear you say that you've heard all that before? No. That is a crashing, enlivening, beautiful new word. Once you hear that, you will never hear anything old again. Everything will be new. That is the kind of thing that keeps sounding new every time it is heard. Be a good way to begin a day, wouldn't it? Listening for God's voice is what we're talking about today. Listening to that nudge within, or what is sometimes called the prompting within. And listening for God's voice in the midst of the noise and hurry and chaos of life is, as he calls it, a spiritual skill of the soul. Not just trying hard to listen, but as Peterson puts it, are you training yourself into that discipline that can tune out the cacophonous racket of the world so that you can hear the angel's symphony singing God's glory in the highest? See, this is about tuning in to God as we go about our daily lives. And especially, as we're thinking of it these weeks and these next couple months, tuning into God as we venture into this noisy and busy and chaotic season of the year. (coughs) Daily noise we're bombarded with. The daily chaos of our lives. Phrases we're so familiar with. Hurry up. Let's go. We're going to be late. Maybe one or two of those was said about an hour ago. It's the liturgy of the holidays. 
for sure. Hurry up. Let's go. We're going to be late. And we may overestimate ourselves, especially if we have lived a while. We may actually think we're better at this than we are. We may think we're better at quiet. We're better at patience. We're better at calm. We may think we come across as, come on, let's get in the car. It's time to go. And so we thought it'd be a great idea to hear the perspective of those who are actually experts on our hurriedness and on our chaoticness. So we're going to hear from our children and find out what they think. So I'd like to invite Mason Huey, Shad Fife, and Torin Johnson, if you would come up to the chairs. And I want to give you a heads up on this. You may or may not believe this, but they have no idea what I'm going to ask them. We haven't talked about it. We haven't gone over it. I don't know what they're going to say. We may regret what they say. We'll find out. So, Mason's on the far end, Torrens here, and this is Chad. So welcome these youngsters as they've come. <laughs> so you guys didn't know what we're going to talk about, but what I want you to think about for a minute or two is... Here's some words just to kind of jar your thoughts. Some of the words are hurry, um, uh, let's go, you know, hurry up, that kind of thing. And maybe one way to get at this, first of all, let's pretend that it's the four of us talking and they're not even here. Just ignore them. They ignore me all the time. Let's just ignore them and do this, okay? Uh, so think about, maybe we can get at it this way. Think about your morning routine. What happens in your house in the morning, uh, maybe before school? What the feel of the house is, what the, what the tone of things are, what the mood of the house is before school. Is it stressful? Is it loud? Is it easy? So Shad has one sister. Torn is an only child. And Mason has 48 siblings. <laughs> So everybody's got a little different perspective. So anybody want to start what it's like before school at your house? Um, it's kind of like this easier type of thing. Normally I'm the first person up, so when I get up, it's kind of like just quiet in the house. Interesting. And does that last? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Someone else? What's it like at home in the morning? Um, so in the morning at my house, normally I kind of all wake up around the same time. So, like, everybody's trying to get the food and stuff like that. And so it's, like, kind of crazy. <laughs> kind of what? Crazy. Oh, crazy. I thought you said cozy, but okay. <laughs> crazy. Okay. Torn, anything? Um, it's like you're going to fall asleep. Uh, it's loud and very stressful. Really? More, more. Stressful in what way? Like to get ready because you got to like get... Like you're going to be late for the bus. Okay. Got it. So do you guys feel like the mornings at your house are hurried, easy, restful, calm, loud? What words, what words would you use to describe it? Mason, let's start with you. Um, loud and stressful. Okay. Are there ever... Conflicts that happen? Fights? Um, not really. Not really. Good. That's good. 
How about you, Shad? What's what's the? It goes from like easy, and then my mom wakes up, and then she's telling us to go do stuff. That's what happens. What's she like? What telling you to go do what? Feed the dog. Feed the chickens. Eat breakfast. Brush your teeth. Like the normal. Feed thing. your dad. That kind yes, of thing. Feed my dad. Wake my dad up. Get it. Get him off his game. I Remember really I said it. this could be dangerous. <laughs> okay. All right. So you guys have a sense of, and it's like this in, I would imagine, in most houses where it can be stressful, there's pressure, there's this idea of let's go, we got to get going. Talk about a time, and Shad, you mentioned this a minute ago, but talk about a time if you've had one when it's been quiet, whether it's been in the morning or some other time, there's been kind of a peaceful situation in your house, particularly if everybody's there. Does anyone have an example where you really enjoyed it, it was quieter, it was relaxed? Anybody have any of those times? I really only had those times when my siblings weren't home. (laughs) Yeah, I, I get it. I've had those times when my mom's asleep and I'm reading. There you go. Okay. And it's kind of, there's no noise in the house and there's, and, and do, you, do you like those times? Yeah. Yeah. How about Mason? You mentioned earlier that, um, no, you mentioned, Shad, that when you get up early, do you like that time in the morning when it's quiet? Yeah. And if you've been to my house, you see I have my little corner near the doorway. It's just my own little area. Shuts the world out. I love it. So quiet. I got news. Let's go watch the Broncos. That's the sermon. So let's just go home. That's awesome. All right. Anything else on any of this stuff? You guys have been awesome. Any other comments on hurrying, loudness, quiet? What I think I hear you all saying is it's hard not to be stressful and loud in the morning, but you all kind of like it when every now and then there's a little space of quiet. Is that about right? All right. Yeah. Got it? All right. Well done. Thank you, guys. So let's jump into this. Uh, I just have two things I want to mention as we think about listening to God, as we think about uh, this idea of entering this busy time of year. The first thing I want to talk about is being intentional. Very soon, January 2nd is going to be here. It is a Thursday uh, when it will be here. And I think this is probably true for most of us. If we are not intentional, we'll likely make it through the hurried rush of the next couple of months. And then somewhere around January 2nd, we'll breathe a sigh of relief. But we will have likely just hurried our way through it or tasked our way through. And it's possible we will have hurried or tasked our way through without what is sometimes called a well-ordered heart. Centered in the living presence of God, even as we go through this season. There's a wonderful story in the New Testament that illustrates very well what Peterson calls the spiritual skill of listening to God. So I'm going to read this. It's Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. 
She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. And this is the familiar story of two sisters named Mary and Martha, who invite Jesus into their home. And the whole event turns on Luke's observation, where he says, Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made, and Jesus said, Mary has chosen what is better. Such a phrase, distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. It's a good story to think about as we hover on the brink of this chaotic time of year. Yes, it is true preparations need to be made. Someone has to take care of the various logistics and projects and tasks common this time of year and common every time of year. There's practical work to be done. And if you're asked to help out with some of the practical work, I don't recommend responding with, you know, I'd love to right now. Uh, I'd love to, but right now I'm listening to Jesus. I don't suggest doing that. The practicalities of life, as we all know, are part of life. But consider Jesus' closing statement in this little story I just read. Mary has chosen what is better. See, this is about a decision Mary made and we are to make. She was intentional about being with Jesus and about listening to him at a time when many would have expected and understood if she had just busied herself with all the work needing to be done. So she went against the grain. She was intentional about being with Jesus when there was so much work to do. You can't miss this in this particular story. She was purposeful about sitting at Jesus' feet when there was a ton of stuff to do. Sometimes people label Martha the activist who liked to accomplish things and had a really hard time sitting still, and Mary the contemplative who liked to ponder and pray and found it easy to sit still. So people say, well, I get fidgety when I sit still. That's why I don't do it. Maybe there's something to these classifications of activist and contemplative. But Jesus is not taking this particular occasion to affirm the personalities or the tendencies of these two sisters. He's making a really simple point. Here's the point. There's a time for preparations to be made and for practical work to be accomplished. But there absolutely has to be a time when we push away from the pressing duties and obligations to sit and listen to Jesus. Notice Jesus affirms Mary's choice to sit and listen to him even though there were plenty of obligations to fulfill. In other words, it's not that all the obligations are done and now she sits at his feet. The obligations needed to be done. And even in the midst of that, she sits down to be with him. See, Mary is counterintuitive. She goes against the grain of expectations, and again, Jesus affirms her choice. I think Martha gets a raw deal. I mean, for, 
throughout history now, there's Mary and there's Martha. Mary's this saint who sits at Jesus' feet. Martha's the one who does all the work, and boy, she just really missed her opportunity. I think she gets a bit of a raw deal. She's the one doing all the work. She's getting everything ready so everybody can have a good time and everybody can have a nice meal. She does not own Professor Dumbledore's wand that she can wave over the table, and all of a sudden there's a banquet feast. And most of us probably appreciate Martha's practical work to get things ready, but we can't miss the fact that Jesus gently invites Martha, and this is the phrase he uses, to something better. Doesn't matter if she tended toward activism, doesn't matter if she had a hard time, quote, sitting still, Jesus invites her to something better. So again, we can't miss the simple point. Jesus affirms Mary's choice to sit at his feet and listen and learn from him when there was plenty of practical work to accomplish. You know this, and so do I. Life is noisy, and it is busy, and it is chaotic, and it is not going to change. We live in a Martha world. And in this kind of world, you and I have to choose if we are going to follow Mary's lead every now and then and be intentional about slowing down about quieting ourselves, to use Shad's idea, be intentional about finding that little spot that's our spot, not hurrying. And in that space, sitting with Jesus, not to make something happen, not to grind out another task, but simply being with Jesus in the relaxedness of the relationship and listening to him and learning from him. And you may know about this sobering statistic, but well over half, way over half, of professed Christ followers rarely, if ever, carve out time to be with Jesus and listen to his voice through a time of prayer or through reading the Bible. Just good percentage of people who are followers of Christ just don't do that. So it's like having someone we claim is our friend, but we never see them. Or having someone we claim is our friend, but we never spend time with them. It's like having a spouse, but we don't hang out together. Having a spouse, but we don't interact together. Noise and busyness and chaos are abused substances in a Martha world. And many of us are substance abusers. See, there are people, I've met them, so have you, there are people who need noise and activity and chaos. And believe it or not, there are people who need crisis. They find meaning in these things. Their value is attached to these things. And they don't know what to do without these things. They instinctually know that if the noise and the busyness and the chaos were replaced with quiet and restfulness and calm, even for a short time, all sorts of turmoil and insecurity and existential angst would begin to churn within them. So the noise and the busyness and the chaos keeps the inner turmoil under wraps. And it keeps them from having to face themselves. See, believe it or not, there are people who create drama out of nothing. They create a crisis when there is no crisis. 
And one of the dead giveaways of this is that something that is objectively a small thing becomes this big thing in the hands of a person who needs a crisis. People create drama and they create a crisis to distract themselves from themselves. So it is entirely possible, and I would say all too common, for Christians to live soulless lives. A Christianity of the head, a Christianity of ideology, a Christianity of beliefs, a Christianity of convictions. But Jesus did not put on human flesh and come to live upon this earth to establish Christianity. It's not why he came. Jesus did not put on human flesh and come to live and dwell upon this earth to establish Christianity. He put on human flesh and he came to dwell upon this earth so we could have a relationship with the living God and experience this life the way it was intended. So what's it look like? Being intentional does not mean being heroic. When we talk about this space, carving out time, we're not talking about being a hero. It really doesn't take that much. It simply means carving out some minutes to sit with Jesus, to sit with him in silence, to sit with him in prayer, to sit with him and listen, invite him. What do you have for me today, Jesus? To sit with him with a Bible open in front of us and simply ask the Spirit of God to take something off the page and just work it in. Just teach us from it. Just give us ears to hear. Sit with him and ask him to talk to us about something going on in our lives that matters to him. Or all the above. Ten minutes a day. Five minutes a day. Not hero stuff. Just a little bit of time. So being intentional means making space for God in the midst of all the noise and the chaos and the busyness. In the morning, in the evening, in the car, in between appointments, in the middle of the day, whenever. Quieting. Tuning into his presence. It's what Shad said. Finding that little arch in the doorway that is that space where we go to be with God. Tuning into his presence reading his word, talking with him, sitting at his feet and listening to him. And so you can think about this on January 2nd, that Thursday, without this kind of intentionality to say, I'm going to do this even though there's all this other stuff to do. I'm going to pull a Mary and I'm going to find a way to commune with God in this season of the year. So that on January 2nd, some part of me says, you know, I navigated that with some intentionality And my heart is better ordered because of it. And the second thing I want to mention is under this phrase, listen up. We use this phrase, hurry up. We use it all the time. We speak it to people. Usually they're smaller than us. To get them going. So we can get where we want to go. Hurry up is kind of the slogan of this time of year. And hurry is one of those things we may not think, we probably don't think is a big deal, but hurry shapes the soul away from God. Think about it. Hurry up is the antithesis of every step and arrival. Because in hurry up, every step is taken faster as though the arrival point is over there somewhere instead of right here, right where we are, right now, the present And God's presence in the present right now. And what God is saying right now. And what God is doing right now. Right here. 
And all that gets trampled over through two simple words. Hurry up. What happened earlier? What Manuel did with in How Great Thou Art. What that was, among other things, was that was a time where we're going to just stay right here. We're not going to go forward. Doesn't matter what the plan is. Doesn't matter if we're supposed to spend three and a half minutes on this particular thing and we just spent three minutes and 37 seconds. We're going to sit here, right here, because the presence of God is, is in this place. At the very beginning of Eugene Peterson's devotional, there's a letter to the reader written by the editors. And in this letter, we discover the origin of the title, Every Step and Arrival, where it comes from. Apparently, Peterson loved a poem called Overland to the Islands. And in this poem, the poet paints a picture of a dog moving, and this is the quote, intently haphazard. Just a wonderful image. We have an English lab at home. His name is Gus. He's almost a year old. A couple, like a week, he'll be a year old. He's my new friend. I mean, I just love this dog. And wherever we go, he and I, he moves, in that phrase again, intently haphazard. As the editors of the book describe a dog moving in such a way, it perfectly describes Gus. Sniffing and dancing, disdaining nothing his known nose registers along the way. But the dog has a trick afoot, which is that he always keeps moving, changing pace and approach, but not direction, every step on arrival. It's a delightful image. Gus constantly moves. Sometimes fast, sometimes slow, but every step he takes is packed with the potential of something new, something unexpected, something wonderful, something transformative. Every step on arrival. Gus loves to ride in a car. Go outside, let's get in the car, goes to the back door of the car, open the door, hops in the back seat. I roll his window down, his head goes out the window, and his nose goes to work. He's got one of the strangest noses of any dog I've ever seen. I'm convinced he stood in the wrong line when the noses were being handed out. I think he was in the pig line when the noses were handed out because he just audibly snorts when he's really working his nose. He's a passionate sniffer. There's so much to smell. There's so many stories behind each smell. There's so much to take in, so much to absorb, so much to experience. He's pulling as hard as he can with his nose, and he just snorts like a pig. And I want to suggest what the nose is to Gus, listening is to a Christ follower. Listening with the ears to hear the voice of God in all sorts of unusual ways. Listening with the eyes to see God in action in all sorts of unexpected ways. And listening with the heart, the inner being, listening for the nudge listening for the prompting at unusual times in all sorts of ways. Living sometimes fast, sometimes slow, but every step packed with the potential of something new, something unexpected, something wonderful, something transformative, because we live in a God-soaked world where the living Christ is present. So... Every step on arrival. What's here? Ooh, what's over there? Back to the reason why we shape the room like this. If it's true 
We live in a God-soaked world, and if it's true, where two or three are gathered in the name of Jesus, his presence is there, perhaps more intensely, as Dave Fitch puts it, than it is when we're just out walking around. Then pull together so we can see, listen, so we can hear, listen, and be alert to what the Spirit of God is up to in our midst. We live in a noisy and busy and productive world, and in a Martha world like this, listening at the level we're thinking about today is simply a lost art. One reason Martha so quickly went to her default setting of busyness and activity is because she thought Jesus was just another visitor to her house. Think about this. These two sisters invite Jesus to come into their house And like many other visitors had come into their house, Martha just kicked into the gear she always kicks into. Time for her to do her thing. Time to make the food. Time to present it on a nice platter. Time to make sure everything is hot. Time to open another bottle of wine. Jesus was just another visitor in her house. And maybe one of the reasons why it is so difficult for us to listen up, to live with the ears on, is because we have such a small view of what it means for Jesus Christ to actually be alive right now and active in the world right now through His Holy Spirit. See, if we don't perceive the world to be God-bathed, God-soaked, then it makes sense to hurry up instead of listen up. If Jesus is not in the mundane moments, then hurry up, because they don't matter. And we've got to get on to something that is, quote, more important. I think another reason why it's difficult for some to listen up is because we are convinced God is overall disappointed with us. I mean, who is in tune, in touch, listening, attentive, to someone who generally is disappointed with us. And I think a lot of people live in this narrative. God is generally disappointed with me. I can say whatever I want. I can pretend that he loves me. I'll even say that he loves me. But it's a conviction. It's not an experience. It's a belief. It's not a reality I live in. And if God is generally disappointed with a person... It makes sense they would live avoiding God. I mean, no one makes an appointment to go hang out with the middle school principal. I mean, no offense to those of you who are middle school principals, but you get the point. I'm going to just go sit in the middle school principal's office and have a good time and hear what he has to say. Because what he's got to say if I'm in his office probably is... You know, you disappointed me again. So I'll just keep on walking. Peterson offers this powerful insight. There's something being said to you by the prophet who is like Moses. Something said that is designed to rule your life. To lead you into a new way of existence. Something that can evoke a response that has eternal dimensions to it. I want to read one of those lines again. There's something being said to you by the prophet who's like Moses. What if that's true? What if Jesus is saying something to you to lead 
you into a new way of existence. Peterson continues, Don't be misled by the child in the manger. He really was a child. But he is of the family of Moses and he speaks. He says that you are loved by God. That you are accepted by God. That your life has an eternal meaning and destiny. Do I hear you say that you've heard all that before? No. That is a crashing, enlivening, beautiful new word. Once you hear that, you'll never hear anything old again. Everything will be new. That is the kind of thing that keeps sounding new every time it is heard. Would you pray with me? And I imagine, just because it seems to always go this way, that there are one or two for whom this idea of a disappointed God is their reality. It's their narrative. I have a hunch, because it's just such a common thing, this idea of being loved by God, accepted by God, your life has eternal meaning and destiny, that you in fact say, I've heard that before. It bounces off. It has not yet sunk in so far that it actually shapes how you are with other people. You know it in your head. You can recite it to others. It's a conviction, a belief. But it hasn't soaked in. You are loved by God. You are accepted by God. Your life has an eternal meaning and destiny. And that is a crashing, enlivening, beautiful new word. And once you hear that, you'll never hear anything old again. Everything will be new. That is the kind of thing that keeps sounding new every time it is heard. And Lord Jesus Christ, we come to you as people who want to hear that word. And we want to let it sink in. And we want to be able to rest in the reality of what it means for us to live at peace in the midst of chaos. To be well-ordered when so much in the world is disordered. To be able to navigate these next couple of months of whirlwind with calm and with peace and with deep and persistent joy because we know intimately and experientially that we are loved by you. We pray for this. We know that there are deep strongholds, deep soul wounds keeping people from receiving these truths. We would pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to move those wounds aside that this good news might become our good news. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.